You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. I'm Linda Sharkey, and thanks again for joining uh, our show, Future Proof Workplace. And my friend and colleague, Morag Barrett, is in London doing a workshop right now and won't be joining us today. And uh, this morning, I did a <clears throat> webinar on our book, Future Proof Workshop uh, Workplace, um, for Omnicron, which is, if you can log on to their website, it's O M N I K R O N. And uh, you can get professional development units for listening to the workshop. It's about uh, an hour long. And it was lots of fun. It was very exciting. I had some great questions from people in the audience and just, you know, made me realize why I love what I do um, (laughs) and why I love the concepts of helping people be better leaders and helping create great work places, as does Morag. And that's what she's doing. She's in a hands-on workshop today. Um, so I have a guest today, which I'm so excited to have because, um, lots of great background and uh, very interesting. I met him in New York city, uh, with our mutual friend, um, Marshall Goldsmith when we were, we're now officially Mario, I think the New York city 50. We are, we are proud to be part of it. Proud to be part of it, and Marshall made me part of his uh, MG100 coaches, so I was very excited about that. So, so let me introduce my guest. Mario Barrett is a professor, Dr. Barrett, and he's over 25 years of uh, experience in uh, uh, progressive experience in leadership. Uh, he was in the U.S. Air Force, uh, crossed several industries in the private sector and Fortune 100 companies. He runs the Barrett Center for Leadership Development. Um, he, in addition to that, he's authored several best-selling books, Leadership, Leading from the Inside Out, 11 Leadership Practices That Will Change Your Life. I definitely want to talk to you about that. And he also uh, is especially proud of, and, and so am I. I mean, you're, you're, you're working with uh, someone who I used to work for, which is Jack Welsh. And he is one of the founding professors at the Jack Welsh Management Institute. And he's been recognized for his teaching and developing of his students, having served as a, a member of the Strayer University and Distinguished Scholar Council. Um, really excited to have you, Mario. Um, Thanks for deciding to, thanks for agreeing to join the show. It was really terrific. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's really exciting to, again, spend some time with a fellow New York uh, 50. Right. <laughs> New York 50. We're all getting, I, I never made it to uh, the party that was being conducted that, that, that was there. I heard it went till two o'clock in the morning. So I, <laughs> Anyway, kind of glad I didn't go. But so, so tell me, Mario. Let's just jump in. I want to explore your book, but I want to start with, you know, how did you how did you get hooked up with Jack? So it's a really interesting story. Um, you know, let sometimes me, 
for one second, Mario, just in case, because, you know, Jack has not been CEO of uh, GE for a long time. So Jack Welsh is the legendary CEO of the General Electric Company, and he really took it for 20 years into its iconic um, marketplace position. And about just about every CEO in Fortune 500 companies, that's an exaggeration, of course, but a lot of CEOs and senior leaders have worked in GE and worked for Jack Welsh. They're well, they're, they're sought after because he's such a leadership guru. So with that, how'd you meet him? So uh, to, to your point, Jack Welch is an iconoclast. Um, he is, and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, at one point, um, the most um, Harvard Business Review articles or pieces on any CEO was written about Jack Welch. Yeah. So when you talk about modern day CEOs um, or executives, many of them, when they went to school and earned their uh, MBAs learned about Jack Welch and his Welch way uh, leadership philosophy. Yeah. So how did I meet Jack? You know, life is a, a lot about education and it's also a lot about, you know, luck. Right. So what happened with Jack was he was interested in getting into the online teaching um, arena. Uh, you you may remember from his time at GE, he was um, well. He started the Crotonville um, School, where he sent a lot of his executives or high yeah. potentials to go and learn about leadership. Yeah. And from Jack's perspective, um, you can teach anybody to be a leader. You just have to have the right foundation uh, to do so. So Jack took that thinking and took that model and said, I'm going to take that out of corporate America and I'm going to bring it into the online uh, academic space. And he came up with the idea of the Jack Welch Management Institute. Um, It just so happened that the school that I was teaching at at the time um, was the first, was the incubator, was Chancellor University, was the incubator for the Jack Welch Management Institute. And, um, JWMI, as it grew, moved to Strayer University, which is a, a, a really, really great institution that has a tremendous legacy in terms of bringing education um, to the people and really developing them in terms of whatever their academic pursuits are. And if there's one thing about the Jack Welch Management Institute is that Jack really wanted to be able to take this education and bring it. To, to everyone. And his thing about the Jack Welch Management Institute is getting rid of the world's bad managers. And that's what we try to do every day. Yeah. So that's kind of like your purpose. I love that. Getting rid, getting rid of the world's worst managers. I think we still have a lot of work to do, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a Unfortunately. Uh, rich situation here. So, so go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, no, I was just going to ask you. So, so, uh, so you ran into him in, in this environment and then you decided what? It was more about me. Um, you know, a lot of times in life you have your 
um, your purpose and you're kind of going through life and then you, you run into a situation that just kind of perfectly aligns. So I read a number of Jack Welch's books when I was going through my own business education. Um, and needless to say, a lot of what we teach I was influenced when I was going through and getting my education. So when the opportunity came to really jump in, in this startup institution, because um, the Jack Welch Management Institute is, is under a decade. It's, it's not been around a long time. We're really an upstart um, in terms of an MBA program um, competing with some of the, you know, long established uh, schools and MBA programs. And I can tell you what, um, as Jack wrote in one of his uh, famous books, Winning, we are winning. We're doing a really great job of not only teaching leadership, but really what we do is we really start to build and develop leaders. So it's not a knock on any other programs out there because I think all programs do a tremendous job of developing um, their students. But I think what we try to do here is we really try to have the students go through a transformational process from thinking about the leader that they would like to be and actually becoming that leader. So it was just a situation where the purpose of JWMI and my purpose in terms of developing, developing people and developing their leadership was just aligned. And we just kind of, um, I just joined and, and, and that's all she wrote. I've been there ever since. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, I kind of, so I was actually getting my PhD when I got canvassed by mm -hmm. GE to come interview. And I think I told you, you know, and Jack was the CEO and that, you know, that was, I mean, to get a chance to work at leadership development at Crotonville and at GE when Jack Welsh was there, I mean, that was like, wow. So yes. I, I was just, blown away to be honest with you it was an incredible experience but you know what I like I like what you're saying about he trying to get um, rid of bad leaders but also bringing leadership to to everybody and you know that was sort of people don't know this but that was sort of his belief at GE too he wanted to make millionaires out of as many people as he possibly could at GE and he was very successful at doing that actually Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so one of the things that we see um, with our students um, is that they come in and oftentimes what people don't really understand about going to get an MBA is that really graduate school is about building confidence. Yeah. It's really about being building confidence in terms of not necessarily knowing that you're going to have the right answer but knowing that you have a process to get to an effective answer. And if that doesn't work, tearing that down and coming back again. Most of our students say, you know, I, I, I believed in candor. And I know you're, you're very familiar with candor because Jack is, is huge on candor. Or I, re I really believe, you know, in passion. Or I really believe in, 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 in taking risks. But for some reason, I didn't have the confidence to do so. And so what we do when we bring them into our courses is that we really push them in terms of applying what they're learning on Monday, 
applying that on Tuesday and then coming back into the classroom and having a conversation in terms of what worked, what didn't work, and let's kind of figure out why it didn't work and go back to the drawing board. And by the time the student gets to the end of each course, they have confidence in terms of the content and the subject matter of that course, whether it's strategy, whether it's marketing, whether it's new business ventures, whether it's leadership, and that's what they take into their careers on a day-to-day basis. So what ends up happening is the student comes in day one and they're nervous. Can I do this? Can I really be the leader that I decide to be? And by the time they get two, three courses in, that conversation starts to go away and they actually start to live it. And by the time they graduate from the program, and I can tell you this, Jack is very involved with the program. So he has... Um, sessions with students. He has sessions with incoming students. He has sessions with the entire student body. And he has um, sessions with students that are graduating. I could tell you, on the end, if Jack's big question to students is this, do your colleagues perceive you and see you differently today than the day before you started this program? I love that question. If they didn't, then we didn't serve you well. And if they did, and the evidence shows, you know, student after student get promoted, get pay raises, you know, go out and start their own companies, because what we've done is we've really instilled the confidence in themselves that they have the tools to be successful leaders. Yeah, that, that I, I love all of that. Mario, just love all of that. So this is a, a totally online school? Totally online. And the real reason for that is when you think about going and doing a traditional MBA, there's opportunity costs when you do that. Totally. Um, for, you know, go ahead. Most, to work. Most people have to work. You know? Yes. Yes. Most people have to work. And so if they have to give up their work, well, they have to give up some income for the time that it's going to take to complete that full-time MBA. You know, we are so proud of our students because our students are managing family, they're managing their careers, and they're finding a way to integrate what they're learning you know, in this program into their lives. So they're really juggling a lot of things. And if they, if they can do that, you know, when they come out on the other end, there's a tremendous amount that they can juggle. And it's a funny, it's a funny conversation because when we have students that come into the program, their biggest concern is time management. Oh yeah. How am I going to get all of this done? And then when they're in their final course, the conversation, again, it changes. Well, what am I going to do with all this free time? It's just interesting how that occurs. Right, right. Uh, oh, <laughs> I know that personally, <laughs> and I'm sure you do too. Yes. <laughs> so, so how does it work? So, so how is how, you know more and more situations are going to online, and you know it was dicey ten years ago. It was out there, and we had all these MOOCs and all this other kind of stuff. How how is it working for people? How how does it work? How do you get the connection? How do you get the cohort feeling out of the class and stuff? So I'll I'll tell you this. If there's one thing that I hear from our students and one of the things that we really try to do is we really try to make this feel as intimate as possible. So think back to when you were, you know, you were in school, when I was in school, you know, you actually can go to the 
farthest reaches of the course and kind of duck behind somebody sitting in front of you. And a professor may never know you're there for the entire term. You're, you're right. <laughs> oh, I've done it. So <laughs> I, I know firsthand. <laughs> but um, in, in an online environment, we keep our courses roughly to about anywhere between 18 to 20 students. So it's really yeah. intimate. And our faculty, you know, I think of uh, JW Mind, I say we are the Disney World of online ed education because we really are um, student focused. We look at our students ex as customers. Um, we're highly engaged. A student can't hide out in the online environment because we, we as faculty members, we make sure that we reach out and connect with each one of our students you know, every week on the discussion boards. So we're very engaged in terms of active in the core shells. We're very engaged in terms of reaching out to our students via email, telephone calls. It's nothing for a student to give a, a faculty member a call and say, hey, you know, Professor so-and-so, I'm dealing with this at work. What do you think um, about this? How do I deal with that? And our faculty members will, will have a, a 15, 20, 30, 40 minute conversation with students to kind of help them work through those situations. So we find that our students believe that this experience is far more intimate than any experience that they've had previously in their academic lives. I love that. That's really great. And, and do you force them to, not force, that's a bad word, but do you... Uh, create situations where they're interacting a lot with each other? Definitely. So one of the ways that we go about doing that is on the discussion boards, we have what we call a discussion question. It's a weekly discussion question based on videos, readings, and assignments that really kind of frame the conversation for the week around a specific topic. So for example, one week we may be talking about emotional intelligence and the various components of emotional intelligence and how that relates to leadership. And then we pose a question. And inside of posing that question, each one of the students responds to that question. And then the faculty member kind of comes in and stirs the pot, engages with the students, and then, and then kind of poses questions to have the students engage with one another. So we find that students are really robust in terms of engaging with, engaging with one another on the discussion boards, but also they take that outside of the classroom at times and connect on LinkedIn, exchange phone numbers, and then they have conversations like that. Um, we also have events in their local towns, whether it be New York City, whether it be Atlanta, whether it be LA, where students get together and they have conversations about the program. They have conversations about what's going on in their career. So again, for many of our students, because we really do work so hard, um, students find it very easy to connect with one another and really create lifelong friendships and relationships. Great. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful learning opportunity. It's the way the world is going to be going in terms of education. So what's the general demographic of your students? So our students are, they, they our average students about 43 years old, um, have about, I don't know, 10 years professional experience, um, in their, in their field. Um, I would say in terms of of, of, of gender breakdown is probably 
somewhere about 50-50%, male-female. But we have students that really run the gambit. We have a tremendous population and a growing population in terms of international students. So we're really happy when we have students that, you know, call in on the, the live Jack call, and they're calling in from Abu Dhabi, or they're calling in um, from Bangladesh, or they're calling in from Germany. And it's really great to see how far um, Jack Welch's reach is, as well as how far students are coming to get this education. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting because, you know, I don't think – uh, Jack has been CEO for 20 years, I think, or something right. close to that. But you know what? The current CEO of GE, John Flannery, he's mm-hmm. been, and he, he worked for Jack. So, I mean, it really developed its own in-house people. It was really something. This may not be a fair question, and if it's not, just please tell me, and, and I won't, you know, don't, obviously you won't ask it, but what is the average cost for this MBA if, if, if people want to, you know, get into this? So I'll tell you what, because that's one of the things that um, makes our program um, competitive. So I can tell you the exact cost. Let me just um, take a look here. Here we go. I have the exact cost for you. The exact cost is $43,800. How, how does that sound? Um, wow. The whole thing? It's, uh, the whole thing. It's 12 courses. Um, you take, most of our students take one course at a time because our courses really are involved and you really get immersed in the topic that you're studying. But again, it's 12 courses. Some students take two. I haven't seen many students take three at one time. But um, yeah, for $44,000, you get an MBA, but again, not just an MBA um, that focuses on theory, but an MBA that uses theory and, and helps you transform your own leadership. So you will see yourself um, becoming a different person as you're going through the experience. Wow, that, that, I think that's really, really great, and I love the applied aspect of it. So terrific. And you know what? I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about you, Mario, because you have a couple of really great books, and uh, you know, you've been in this field for a long time. It's really clear that you're passionate about leaders and leadership development. So tell me about this 11 leadership practices that will change your life. Why did you write the book? And then, of course, mm-hmm. we want to get into the practices. So the, I'll tell you, when I, was, um, when I was growing up, I had a, a number of challenges when I was growing up. Um, and I think a lot of people have a lot of challenges in their lives when they're growing up. And they're trying to find a way to kind of, you know, get through those challenges and see themselves to the other side and be successful in life. And that was really... Um, what spurred me on to kind of write this book or write these books was because I knew that I wasn't the only one um, that was trying to find my way. And so the first book that I wrote was Leading from the Inside Out. And that book really speaks to the whole notion that leadership is really an inside out process. I think Many people believe that leadership is really about a title or it's about having a corner office or it's about having a big paycheck. But I can tell you, if you if you look to our 
uh, society, if you look throughout history, what you really found is that the people that we revere as our greatest leaders are the people that the leadership resonated from inside. And whether they had the big corner office or whether they had the big job title, that leadership was still going to resonate. And so what I really wanted people to really look at was, number one, if you want to be a leader, you really need to have a vision for your life. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, they don't have a vision for their life. And if you don't have a vision for your life, you're just going to kind of go from event to event, you know, day to day, week to week, job to job, relationship to relationship. But you don't have a, a, a clear picture of what you want your life to look like. So let's take the conversation away from the individual and take it to an organization. An organization cannot function over the long term if it doesn't have a vision in terms of where it wants to go and how it sees itself and whether it be five years, 10 years, 20 years. It's the same thing about an individual's life. And what we realize or what I realized inside of doing my research was for a lot of people, they get caught up in what I call momentary happiness. Momentary happiness is maybe purchasing a nice pair of shoes, purchasing, you know, a nice car or things that you feel will give you happiness, but the happiness is fleeting. Yeah. And what we find with leaders, and I, and I say this all the time, you know, when I look at Jack, when I look at Warren Buffett, when I look at, you know, uh, Michael Bloomberg, you look at these individuals and you say to yourself, wow, these individuals are a little bit up in age, but they're still out in the world doing tremendous things and they have the energy level of a 20-year-old. Well, what's the battery behind that? Right. The battery behind that is passion. They've tapped into their passion, which resides internally, and they're expressing it to the world. And that's kind of what's carrying them throughout their lives. So when I look about when I look to leading from the inside out, what I'm really trying to do is tap into what those individuals have found works for them and the various steps um, that they take each and every day to live their life inside of their life's vision. Yeah. So Mario, we're going to take a break right here and I want to come back, you know, after that and explore that. I mean, I, I could not agree with you uh, more that this is all about uh, having a life's vision and that leadership is from within going out. So thank you for that beautiful comment. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. We're talking to Dr. Mario Barrett, uh, leading faculty from Uh, the Jack Welsh Management Institute. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to uh, Dr. Mario Barrett, who is a leading author, uh, 
leader in leadership development and an expert and uh, also a lead faculty for the Jack Welsh Management Institute. And we're talking about his uh, one of one of his many books, Leading from the Inside Out. And we were talking about the, the passion and the vision for yourself. And I just think it's so true, Mario. I mean, people I know that sort of float through life, they don't have a picture of where they're headed. They're not really goal focused. And the people that are just tend to have such a richer, fuller life. It's not necessarily economically fuller, though it usually is actually. So how do you get people to, you know, to really understand what their vision is if they're sort of floating through the ether? (laughs) So, you know, the interesting thing about creating one's vision is you have to realize first and foremost that for most of us, we don't have a vision for our lives. What we have is a series of inputs. So, Um, The magazines tell us kind of how we should dress, what we should do. Um, Television programs tell us, again, how we should dress, how we should live. Our parents tell us what schools and what careers we think we should get, they think we should um, get into. And so what we find is that we're a collection of all of those inputs. And you see it so often for the individual who became a lawyer because his father felt that being a lawyer you know, it was a great career, but yet and still that individual hates law or the person that became an accountant because her mother said, you know, I think that's a good field to make money in. And she hates being an accountant. Um, What we find, though, is, you know, the proverbial midlife crisis is kind of when the facade comes down in terms of all of those inputs and you kind of saying, well, no, that's not who I am. And this is who I am, who I'm comfortable being. What I'm trying to do is get to that, get individuals to that point before they get to their midlife crisis. So before you go into, you know, $150,000 in debt to become a lawyer and realize that you don't want to practice law, let's examine, you know, why are you saying that you want to be a lawyer? Let's, Let's challenge that for a moment. And that's where the the hard work really begins to start to challenge these, you know, inputs to really figure out what's our thinking versus what inputs we're taking in and owning them as though it's our thinking. And it's a hard process. It really is because it requires a lot of self-reflection and saying, yeah, I may, I may disappoint some people because I'm not going to necessarily go the route that they have planned for me. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. But again, that's part, that's the beginnings of really starting to figure out what it is that I really want versus all of those inputs that kind of frame what I think I want. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really great point. I mean, that self-reflection, it's hard, but it's so important. And, you know, people, do gravitate to what they love. They just have to listen to it and pay attention to it. And and I think it's an important point. I, I want to switch a little bit here. Um, you know, how does one go about transforming his or her, him or herself into a leader? So 
interesting because it goes to the conversation. You know, you hear it all the time. You know, the statement, well, leaders are born, not made. And that's not true. That is not true. You know, I'll give you an example. This is something that happened when I um, first started teaching years ago, about 15 years ago when I first, first started teaching. And I remember I was in a classroom. This was a face-to-face on ground. And I remember stepping into a classroom. We were talking about leadership. And I said, everybody's a leader. And oh my goodness, this class just tore my head off. And they said, no, everyone is not a leader. Certain people are not leaders. And I couldn't believe it, but the class actually turned to one of the students and said, so-and-so is not a leader. He has not demonstrated any leadership since we started in this program. Wow. And I could not believe it. And so I actually said, well, you know, the funny thing about leadership is that leadership, again, it resides and it starts inside. That same individual that you've identified could be the most, the most mild-mannered and meek individual until his passion is sparked. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that passion is. Maybe he doesn't even know what that passion is. But let's just think, you know, in society, we have mad mothers against drunk driving. Right. Those, there are plenty of mothers that if they didn't lose their child to drunk driving, they would have just been mothers and kind of gone on with their lives as they've gone on with their lives. But then something happened and sparked that passion, and they are ferocious against drunk drivers. So to say that individuals, leaders are born and not made, well, you know what? You're probably right, because we're all born as leaders. We just have not found that spark to our passion. And going back to the conversation that we just had, for those individuals that are willing to do that self-analysis and self-assessment, they'll get to that spark a lot quicker than those individuals that are not necessarily willing to do or ready to do that work. So when you ask the question, what is that trans, what transforms an individual is really that spark. Some of us seek that spark out, Some of us just kind of come across that spark just in our everyday lives. And that sets us on a path that we didn't even think was possible for ourselves. That's really interesting. And I want to go back a little bit because I do think that children get messages when they're growing up. Yes. And some of that can hold them back as a leader. And you said, you know, you had some difficulties as everybody does at some level or another. But, you know, the brain is such an interesting thing. So you have a kid that you're, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're subliminally sending the message, oh, well, you're really not leadership material or, you know, really you're best at doing whatever. Mm -hmm. How do people overcome some of those biases that, that, and and it's not, it's not that somebody is trying to be negative. It's not that your family or parents are, they're just you know, sending these things that can limit people and limit their opportunities. What what are your thoughts on that? That's a tough one. And that's really, you know, there's now there's a whole new buzzword about grit. 
Yeah. And the, the whole concept about grit is the ability to overcome obstacles, the ability to just kind of dig in and say, all right, I see, you know, that I have some obstacles and some challenges that I have to overcome. And I'm just going to kind of dig in and do the work to do it. Um, but everyone doesn't have the same level of grit. Everyone doesn't have the same level of intestinal fortitude to kind of take on some of those messages and overcome them. Um, I, I read a, a book by um, Miguel Luis, um, The Four Agreements, and there was a story in the book um, where there was a, a single mother and she loved, you know, loved the daughter, um, but one day she just had a really, really bad day at work. And normally what would happen is when she got home from work, her daughter would be singing some, you know, some, some nice um, song and, and just enjoying herself while she was doing her homework. And one day she came home, she had a really, really bad day. And she just told her daughter, cut that singing out. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. The daughter never sang again. Wow. The wow. daughter never sang again. And it was Diana Ross or something like that. Could have been. She could have been. She could have been. And so, you know, for each individual, it's, it's what they can take um, and the, the level of grit that they need to overcome that is different. And again, it really goes into their willingness to kind of do some, some soul searching. And sometimes you can't do it on your own. Sometimes you need a support group. Um, and it goes back to one of, you know, the practices in my book is that if you want to be seen differently, or if you want to transform yourself, then you need to move in a circle of people that see you differently. So the old circle sees you how they've always seen you. So you may need to make new friends. You may need to make new contacts. You may need to put yourself into new experiences because that is what's going to help take you from the old you and challenge you into you being the new you. But again, I, you have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is, that is really, that is really great. Mario, we're at another break, but let's explore that a little bit more when we get back from this break. And I want to talk to you about, you know, what you see as the top three leadership or four leadership practices that, you know, of all the 11 are just must haves. And we did cover one, which was passion and vision. So, Stay tuned. We're talking to Dr. Mario Barrett, and uh, we're talking about what's near and dear to everybody's heart, leadership. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening to us. I'm so happy to have people returning to Future Proof Workplace. And today we're talking to Dr. Mario Barrett. And we were just talking about how you 
go about transforming yourselves. And one of the things you said, Mario, which I just love is sort of, I'm, I'm summarizing, but change the dynamic, hang out with a different group, you know, get, mm-hmm. get a different experience. And I love that. I think that's really brilliant because people do have a tendency to hang out with sort of people that are keep them in their comfort zone, kind of mini-me's, it's safer. And how do they push themselves out of that comfort zone? Uh, you know, the thing, the thing about leadership is the ultimate question is, what are you going to choose? It's, it's really, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to live the life that you've been living? Are you going to choose to kind of move into the life that you want to live? So we see, you know, entertainers, we see politicians, we see athletes. And at some point in time, those individuals made a choice. And they made a choice that I'm going to pursue what it is that I want for my life. Whether it be fame, whether it be, um, you know, wealth, um, whether it be just simple, you know, happiness, I'm going to choose to take the actions to do that. So you asked me before we got to the break, what are some of, you know, some of the, 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 the major, I think all of the 11 uh, leadership practices are important, but three that really kind of stand out to me. One is delayed gratification. I think that is huge. And I think You know, oftentimes when we see someone that's very successful and that has, you know, the great leadership qualities and is is, is a person of great stature, we don't realize how much work it took for that individual to get from point A to point Z. We kind of think that it happened overnight or over a short space of time. And for the most part, and in most instances, it didn't. And that individual had to deny him or herself of certain niceties, you know, to get from point A to point Z. So when when you and I, for example, were going through the arduous process of getting a doctoral degree, um, that <laughs> yeah. wasn't an easy experience, to say the least. You're right. You're right. And I did deny myself a, a lot, but I had that vision at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. I mean, it's a great point. I love that delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is, I think, one of the key things. Again, and you have to make the choice that you're willing to give something up for now to have something larger down the line. You know Um, what, though? mm -hmm. I reframed my gratification um, Mm -hmm. rather than saying I was delaying it, which I I love that thought. Mm -hmm. But what I did was I changed my gratification to getting the Ph.D., Yes. That was, you know, where I was looking for my, when I, when I got it, I was, wow, you know, and then, okay, what's my next? But I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, again, it goes back to the whole notion of, you know, your life's vision. So what do you, what do you want your life to look like? Do you want to be highly educated? Do you want to be a person that's in excellent physical shape? Um, do you want to be a person um, that's working, you know, 70 hours a week? Or do you want to be a person that's running your own business and you're only working 50 hours a week? I don't know. But yeah. you can make, you can actually create your, that's the thing about, the great thing about being human, you know, yeah. um, is that we have unlimited possibilities in terms of how our life can turn out. And to yeah. give 
the responsibility of being the creator of how our life turns out. That, I think, is the issue that many of us have, is that we don't necessarily want to own up to the level of responsibility that we have and power that we have in terms of creating our own lives. Well, and then the only person you have to blame is yourself, and you can't blame others. That's I, I love that too. Okay, yeah. Give yeah. me give me a couple of others, man. Give our audience so you know a couple of others to chew on. I love this delayed gratification, you know, taking responsibility and ownership for for you know your career, your life. And we have about four minutes, so and I've got a couple of things I want to say at the end. So give me a couple of other really additional sure. things. So, so another one is being open-minded and being open-minded means, you know, sometimes things come your way and it may look like it's extra work. So your boss might say to you, you know, Hey Linda, I have a project. Um, and you may say to yourself, well, I have a lot of other things that I'm doing. <laughs> right. Look at the project and see how can that project add a skill set to you? to help to develop you. Because I'll tell you, you know, somebody said to me a long time ago, they said, you know, give until it hurts. And I really didn't understand what that meant. But what it really means is give and continue to take on new challenges and opportunities. Because at the end of the day, even when you may be struggling at times, you're building skills, talents, and muscles that will help take you to the next level of development. Yeah. And so, be open-minded as new opportunities come, your, come across your path. And the thing is, opportunities come all the time. The question is, are you willing to see them and act on them? Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Another one is continual self and goal assessment. So, mm. you know, Jack said this the other day, and it's so, so true. The most successful people don't think that they're successful. They're always on the quest to doing something else, to doing something more, to adding more value. It never ends. So Bill Gates started Microsoft. Now what is he out trying to do? He's in the continent of Africa trying to work on clean water and, and eradicating diseases. He doesn't have to. Right. Continues on. Jack Welch extremely successful man. He didn't have to take the Jack Welch Management Institute, but he chose to because he had a purpose that he was still living into. And so no matter how successful you are, no matter how great you become in life, there's always another goal out there. There's always something else that you could be doing. And so you always want to be looking and making sure Am I done yet? And I guarantee you the answer will be no. Yeah. So consistent self-investment. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Absolutely love that, Mario. I mean, you know, I, 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 I guess I'm not going to retire. There's more to do. There's more to do out there. So tell me, how do people get a hold of you? I mean, this conversation has been inspiring and brilliant and, um, you know, would love to talk to you more. So how do people get a hold of you? So first off, everyone can reach me on my LinkedIn. It's uh, linkedin.com backslash in backslash Dr. Mario Barrett. 
So connect with me on LinkedIn. I um, share a lot of articles. I post um, some articles and pieces that I've written on leadership and team building. Um, is on my Twitter, uh, lead your life, uh, twitter.com backslash lead your life. Um, you can also go to uh, jackwelch.strayer.edu um, and you'll find me at JWMI as well. Um, my thing is that I'm always out here looking to help um, individuals um, develop their leadership. So I'm always willing to have those conversations about leadership and team building because I just think it's a great conversation to have. And I think more and more of us need to have those conversations because if we have more of those conversations, it kind of goes out in the atmosphere and we actually start to um, create more and more leaders. So those are the areas that you can really reach me at um, currently. Oh, thank you so much, Mario. I have to tell you, you know, we're sort of in the same profession and sort of been on a similar trajectory and um, you've inspired me. I loved everything that you had to say. And thank you so much for being on the show. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.